Welcome to the Sendcast. My name is Dale Pickles, the Managing Director of B Squared and the host of the Sendcast, the Special Needs Podcast. Each week we talk about a different topic within the world of special educational needs to improve our knowledge, to provide support to professionals working in schools and to empower parents. In a world where there's less money, less guidance, more demand and continual changes, teachers, Senkos, leaders, parents and carers need a way to keep up that fits with their lives and the Sendcast is the answer. In this episode, we have two guests, Carol Allen and John Galloway, both highly experienced advisors and educators. Carol is an educational advisor for ICT and inclusion, in particular supporting the London Grid for Learning. She was named as one of the top 10 educators for 2018 in the field of educational technology. This was down to all her amazing work on inclusion. John is a specialist in the use of technology to improve educational opportunities for children and young people with special educational needs. He spends the majority of his time working with Tower Hamlet's local authority, but also does lots of work as a writer, consultant, and trainer. This week's episode is looking at CPD for inclusion. Apart from this obviously amazing podcast, we are discussing where teachers can go to access the information support they need in order to improve their inclusive practice. Before we get started, do you know what we do at B-Squared? Have you even heard of B-Squared? B-Squared was started around 25 years ago by my mum. She always struggled to show progress for pupils with special needs, so she created something that would keep her going until someone else made something better. 25 years later, we are still supporting schools and special educational needs and disability. One of the ways we have done this is by launching the Virtual SEND Conference in 2019, which is a way to make CPD around SEND more affordable and easy to access. You can access it as a conference over the internet or as a series of videos you can watch whenever you want. It is all about supporting people with SEND. For more information, visit www.virtualsendconference.com. At the end of the episode, I'll be giving you a discount code so you can save some money when you purchase access. If you are a parent, We've also launched Parent Talks. You can access support and advice in the same way. To find out more information on Parent Talks, go to www.virtualsendconference.com forward slash parents. Now on with the podcast. Welcome to the show, Carol and John. Hello. Thank you. Hello. Good afternoon. So there isn't enough CPD around SEND, or there might be enough CPD, but not everyone is accessing it. In my experience, CPD around SEND is often not the focus for a school, obviously mainstream. The SENCO will get training and may deliver some training, but there needs to be a lot more. There are lots of options out there, but what CPD should teachers be looking for? What are their options? Well, I, I think it's quite a deep question. Where I started from was that question of time. We always say that schools, and, and it's quite true, teachers are always very squeezed for time. So how do you get the best out of the time you've got available? And then we have in, as teachers, we get five inset days a year. And those inset days are often taken up with things that are about the management and administration of the establishment as opposed to the actual development of the skill, the professional skills of the teacher. So, and, it, and sometimes it'll even be things that are kind of SEN focused, like things like manual handling. Yeah. So we then, we see, we, we almost get bound into the notion that teacher training, that the time we have available for training is five days a year. And it kind of limits us as professionals from 
focusing on what it is to be a teacher as a professional and what do we need to do to develop our skills as a professional as opposed to what is requested of us by the establishment by the establishment we work in yeah so the first thing i'd like us to do is to begin to think about ourselves and our practice and try to to self-reflect to have some notion of what it is, of, of, of how good we are, and, and the vast majority of teachers are very skilled professionals, and how we can then improve on those skills. I, I kind of feel I've taken the question off at a tangent. Yeah, but we can cope with that. <laughs> <laughs> but, it, but it is that question of, of, you know, how we kind of see training as a, an, an allotted amount of time as opposed to see training as being just simply part of professional practice. We are professionals and therefore we need to train in order to maintain our skills and to improve those skills. I suppose when you also, so you have those five inset days and then every teacher has that CPD as part of their annual sort of performance type thing. And often that CPD is how can you support the school? So generally not even yeah. that's not even looking at them yeah that's looking yeah. at what the school needs not what they need that's the bit i was just adding in. well when 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 performance targets are set most schools not all most schools and i would say the good ones tend to have you have three targets on your performance management the first target will be a school-based one towards a, a, a school-based strategy the second one will be a specific subject-based one if you're secondary, for example, or it might be a key stage-based one if you're primary, or it might be a subject-based one primary. But the third one is supposed to be personal target. And you're supposed to be able to, you know, negotiate and choose something you want to do. I agree with everything that John said, but I do think there's a new breed of educators out there who want more because sometimes you're not, first of all, they're seeing that the five days, the five allotted days or the how many twilights are not enough to follow the things that they're interested in or they're not covering the topics that they're passionate about. So we've got we've got a group now and I would say Edu Twitter is the biggest group where you will see these people and they're saying I want to know more I want to learn from others I'm passionate about for example reading books in key stage 1 and you will find groups and hashtags on there or on Facebook or on Instagram that you can follow and join in with specifics so that that's kind of an informal route the other as far as SEND goes I do find there's not very many people who pay particular attention or focus on it until one of two things happens. Either they have a personal interest, a family member, a friend, an auntie, a niece, a nephew, then a brother or sister, then they are up for it and up for everything. Or they're going to get the child in their class and they need to know how to deal with that child. And then suddenly they're looking for CPD to support them and maybe their TAs and whoever with this particular child. In a good school, a receiving school of a child with additional needs, the whole school should be training, you know, to meet that. So it doesn't matter if I'm going to Mr. So-and-so's class or the dinner lady or everybody understands the needs of that child. That would be my ideal. But in point of fact, often you find some poor soul is sent on training. The training's done. And then even when they transition to the next class up, that next class teacher gets nothing. It's assumed it's going to go by osmosis or something, you know. So I think 
I think unless you've got a personal interest, whether that be truly personal or a professional personal because you're being faced with something, there are a very, very small group of educators who find this whole field fascinating. Nobody would, when you challenge anybody on Twitter or where else, they will, nobody would ever say, oh, it doesn't matter. But the point is, they never mention it. So if you challenge them and say, why haven't you thought about this? They say, oh, oh yes, of course, of course, I believe in inclusion. Of course, I believe. But the, the fact is, they haven't included it in the first instance in whatever they're promoting or putting out. I've been reflecting on this recently with some work I'm doing. And basically, the answer I've come down to in my head is because they're not pushed to by Ofsted, DfE, STA, or their local authority. And therefore, it doesn't hugely exist. That's what I'm sort of coming down to in my head is why aren't they looking at this? Why aren't they focusing on that? Because the pressures they are put under by authorities, league tables, Ofsted, that is what's driving what they're training on. And that's sad fact. Until somebody in the government, after all these SEN reviews, actually make a big priority, schools won't really change, I feel. Well, which is interesting, the 2015 SEN Code of Practice talks about quality first teaching yeah. and that the, the first intervention you know, should be the quality of the practice from the classroom teacher. Yeah. But still, so much of the time, if a classroom teacher has a child with more challenging special educational needs, they're kind of relying on the SENCO and the support staff, the teaching assistants, to take the lead with that child rather than be the, the, the teacher is taking the lead and those other people are then providing the professional support necessary. But I, you know, one of the issues is for me is how we measure effectiveness of schools and we look at things like progress eight and the eback and such like and so many kids with SEND are not going to make significant impact on those metrics if we think those kinds of things are important in terms of, of measuring the effectiveness of the school effectively saying how good is the school by the number of bits of paper kids get in year 11 then what we need to do is to find a way of nuancing it for every individual and we, we were doing that back in the 2010s, sorry, 22 noughties, but now we've moved back, back away from that. It's not particularly impacting upon the bottom line outcome for the schools, which are deemed important. And so therefore, it's not emphasised in the professional development within the school because, you know, in the overall big picture, it's not a thing that's going to make much difference. Morally, ethically, and for those particular pupils and particularly the staff who work with them, then it makes an enormous difference. But in terms of the kind of the bottom line of school effectiveness and what is deemed to be important, it's not seen to be particularly something to, to focus on, sadly. It's not. And it, and it meets we're always an afterthought. I mean, I can remember the fury when I was, uh, my fury when I did my first training on, on the national curriculum. Now, the phrase that, that or the, the statement, the national curriculum, that means national means everybody in that nation, doesn't it? And I did all my training, including the testing I was going to be asked to do on my seven-year-olds on floating and sinking. I can remember that one of the first things was on floating and sinking. And we had to put different things into water and see if they floated and sink. And I, and I remember saying to the trainer, so if I throw my class into the swimming pool and see them sink, will that be good enough? Because they can't swim. They can't hold their head up. They can't, you know, I was furious at a national curriculum that, just didn't even consider 
the children I was working with. And what happened then was the educators went away and wrote the levels that were underneath the national curriculum, which became things like P levels and, you know, the work and all. We had to write that ourselves. Nobody ever, ever did it. They just said, this is the national, this is what we're interested in. Every child should at the age of seven. And they forgot, they forgot a huge proportion of the population. The same things happened in this, I'm on a rant now. Same things happened in this pandemic. The Flippin' Oak Academy launches, right? And I ask the simple question, how does that work for a child who can't read? Where is it for the profound multiple learning? Where is it for the similar? And the answer was, we are working on that. And they showed me who they were working with. They were working with some good partners, right? I will not take that away. We're working with some good people and we will launch that later. Later. Why do these children always have to come later? Why are they always an afterthought? If you're saying this is what we're giving to you, then, you know, give it to everybody. Can I just not mention engagement level, seven years on, pre-key stage standards, how many years on? Yeah. yeah it was still, you'd have thought, that was obviously early 90s, new national curriculum. Yeah. 2020, we've repeated the same, we're still in the same place. Yeah. We still think of mm-hmm. everyone, what about this? Oh, didn't think about that. Right. And it is, mm. you'd hope we'd learn by then. Yeah. Hope. Mm-hmm. In 30 years, we've learned, but we haven't. And it, and it really, it really, I'm not decrying any of the work. They they did some great stuff. They put some stuff together. But why are we an afterthought? Why are these children an afterthought? They are part of the continuum of education. They're not a separate little group to be ignored and added on later. You know, some of the amazing stuff that's done at, Actually encompasses all kinds of children. And should CPD be lifelong learning? Yes, it should. In America, and I'm sure in other countries, you have to maintain your level of personal development. You have to do so many certified courses a year. If you've got, for example, an accreditation, you've got to keep it updated. Well, here we do our NPQ year, and unless you then go on to kind of headship and, and something like that. Nobody looks to see if you're still learning. I'm not saying we should go down the American route. I'm just saying there are different ways of doing it and some that value the educators continuing to learn. Yeah, just to to build on the rant in some sense. So initial teacher training, generally in that year of initial teacher training, there's a half a day on SEN. Yeah. And if we took, say, the Finnish system, where after doing a three-year degree course, you then do two years to get a master in teaching. And, you know, SEN is a much more integral part of that two-year full-time master of teaching course. For me, it's also that attitude that it is a, a highly skilled, highly academic profession and the expectation would be that you then continue to study and to, to learn. And, and, you know, th- there's no great incentive here to learn. You know, Carol's quite right about you know giving your professional development targets over the year, but there's no great incentive, for instance, if you do go and get a master's in um, education or in a particular area or a particular qualification, there's no kind of incentive in, in necessarily in career status or even in financial status, no recognition of the effort or the fact that you're, you're now a better qualified professional and therefore one would hope more effective in the work that you're doing and sometimes people have personal learning targets which are not in line with the school ethos or their current job 
so it might be, for example, that you've always wanted to look at art in education and art therapy and art as a communication form, right? But it doesn't fit. You are the you are the year five teacher in charge of history. And so if you ask to go on a course around that art world that you want to know, it's very likely the answer is going to be no, because we all know funds are tight. I understand that. And so the people are told, you know, well, you know, sorry. So they, they do have to go off and do it themselves, which is why we've had this huge rise in teach meets. Brewheads, Saturday conferences, a kind of groundswell of teachers providing learning opportunities for teachers because they can't they can't go. I mean, take a big show like Bet. A lot of the companies always said that the Saturday was a bit of a wasted time for them because the people with the money weren't there on a Saturday because obviously they could come out. But on a Saturday, you met the trainee teachers, you met parents, you met the teachers who were interested enough to give up their Saturday, but hadn't been allowed to go out of school, you know, and I know financially, again, it's maybe not the most sensible thing. But if you reduce what we give to people who want to learn about education only to financial terms, then it's a bit of a sad day, really. The last few years of the education show, before it merged with Ben, you actually found that Saturday was the busiest day. There wasn't enough at the show that schools would say, yep, take Friday off, we'll get cover in, go to the show. They wouldn't do that. It wasn't financially sensible. So so the teachers came in their own time Uh on the Saturday. Uh I found that quite shocking that these people want to support their children. They want to learn, they want to improve, and they've got to do it all in their own time. Mm. Yeah, I have met very, very few educators who didn't want to do the best for their student classes. I've met one or two. I have met one or two. But honestly, in in the world of educators I've met, most of them want to do their best. They want to learn how to do their best. They want to be better at what they do. I do think teachers are very harsh on themselves. If you go and watch a bit of a lesson or a lesson, you say, God, that's amazing. You know, what you did there, that idea. Can I share? And they go, oh, no, it's just something I did. You know, they're very self-deprecating. And it's it, they're, they're, it's a phenomenal profession. It really is. There's some stunning people out there. But lifelong learning, for me, I still I still don't know everything. Of course I don't know everything. I'm learning every day. Every time I have a conversation with somebody, read an article, or something makes me think, or usually a child challenges me and challenges my view. You know, if I say, oh, I think this is a good idea, and they'll say, why? That's what the kids say a lot of the time. Why? Tell me why. And then I have to explain mm-hmm. why, and I have to reassess my own thoughts. And that's a very good thing to have to do every now and again. Yeah. And it's also it's it's essential. I mean, there are some things that are foisted upon teachers, like, for instance, the national curriculum. Now, I, I agree with Carol. I think the national curriculum was a good thing. But there are all the time developments in education that teachers are expected to take on board. And so therefore, training is foisted upon them sometimes because they're having to take on new ways of working. But they also, you get a new kid, a, a child come into your class and you don't necessarily understand what those needs are about. You know you have to learn in order to meet those needs. And if you don't meet those needs, those that child is going to miss out for all sorts of reasons. It may, you know, there, there are again, 
there are the professional ones uh, and the moral ones, but there's also the pragmatic ones. That if there's a child sitting there who isn't connected with what's happening in the lesson, they may be the one who then disconnects everybody else from learning in the lesson through their behaviour, through you know, that they're demonstrating the fact that they're not feeling particularly involved. And so there's all, there, there is that pragmatic level of you have to meet the needs of every, of every child in the class because otherwise the impact on what you're trying to do in the class could be particularly disruptive. I think one thing, though, is modelling. Modelling, we all know modelling. Yes, the idea is you lead by example, more or less. So Mm -hmm. you do this, asking you a why question. One of the good things about why questions is they want to see actually how you answer a why question. Yeah, yeah. You always learn. I ask you why. Okay, it helps them learn. So you're always modelling. And that's one thing I think is where sometimes people don't realise the negative side of modelling. Yeah, so if I've got a child coming into my class, okay, I go ask the previous teacher, what did you go and do to find out more? And they go, well, didn't really. That almost tells you, you don't have to either. Mm. So sometimes you go to the school leader, you go to the head teacher, okay, I've got this child with this, what do I do? And if that person isn't that source of knowledge, modeling what they know about that child and that, can, mm. that need, then they're modeling to you that you don't really have to worry because they don't worry either. And that's one thing I, I see quite a lot that sometimes it goes back to it falls on the Senko. Mm-hmm. And that's one thing I think should change. I think the leaders in a school should be meeting the needs of those children in terms of they know more about the different needs. They can support their teachers. The Senko is there to be a really good support. But if that Senko is only there for half a day a week in some schools, what's happening with the other four and a half days? Pick it up on that. It's not just the Senko. It could also be the teaching assistants. And, you know, often met teaching assistants who are expert on the, the child that they work with and the condition they have and the way that it will impact upon them and their learning. But they don't necessarily then have the capacity or the, the status even to be able to sort of champion that child yep. across the rest of the school and the rest of the staff. Yeah. 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 And I think, I think that's, that's kind of ethos needs to change. I think that if they don't know, go and, you have to go and find out. And I know so many teachers do, but I do think as we talk time and money and all that stuff, it's hard. It's hard mm. for schools. Mm. So we've talked a lot about, or Carol has mentioned, the teach meets and the sort of that ground up. And I love hearing about that because it is showing you that chalk face level, there is the understanding, there is the need, there is the drive, which is great. So. Where can people find out about all these different teach meets? If you just good old Google again, if you Google teach meet, there's a, a, a website which shows you the teach meets all over the UK with the date and where they are. And you can sign up to speak if you want to. I mean, no, in normal times, I'm traveling around the UK and you do your work and then you maybe end up in a hotel room overnight, you know. And if you don't want to watch Midsummer Murders for the 17th time on repeat, it's quite a good thing to find out where the nearest teach meet is. And even if you don't talk, you go go along, you're always welcome. Never feel fear to turn up on your own. That's a, a strong message. Go in, find a seat. There often there's drinks on and have a drink. And then you will get a series of short, snappy presentations, which some might be immediately relevant to you, some might not be immediately relevant to you, but they will all make you think. Some you will agree with, some you might disagree with, doesn't matter. They all make you think. I haven't been to a teach meet yet where I haven't come out with my brain absolutely buzzing with 
thoughts and it makes me think and it makes me reassess and it will also give you new contacts so for example if particularly if you're interested in a niche area then you know you suddenly find somebody who's interested in the same thing as you for SEND there's of course the Tess Islington teach meet and can I just say if you're into SEND that is one not to be missed even if you can't go to the whole show find out when it's on Get your ticket early and come along because there's some great speakers. Every year, there's five speakers and it never fails to be interesting. I just want to wind back a little bit and and think about that same kind of sharing of practice, but actually in the one school. I worked with a primary for a while where every staff meeting started off with one class team. So not just the teacher, but TAs as well, talking about a piece of practice in their classroom. Yeah. Yeah. And what the impact of that is, is actually generating ideas, just hearing about something and then thinking, yeah, I could do that. But if I did that, I would need to tweak it and do it in this way. And and it also it helps break that kind of bubble that sometimes teachers are in in a classroom in that they they work in that classroom, but nobody else in the school, nobody else on the staff knows what it is that they're doing and what it is that's effective and fun and creative and enjoyable. Yeah. There was a bit of work I did some years ago, but with a colleague with a secondary school where one lunchtime per week, she and I ran a a behaviour surgery and staff would come along and a member of staff would volunteer to talk about a behavioural issue they were having within the school. And what was fascinating was how a class that one teacher was having an issue with, somebody else wouldn't be having an issue with. And they could begin to share ideas about why that was, why it was for one or the other. But the other thing it did is it broke down an attitude that can sometimes happen where a teacher may feel that if if there's a behaviour problem in a particular class, then it's down to the classroom teacher that that's happening. And actually what it, what it helped do was to make everybody then began to reflect on just what was happening with that group of kids. And, you know, it could be a simple, a simple, it could be that it's about gender. It's about that this, this class or this particular pupil was fine with male and not with female. Oh. And so, you know, that was the thing that needed to be addressed. But it also meant that the teachers, the more experienced teachers, began to get an understanding of the situation for the less experienced or the newer teachers and actually became more supportive and more sympathetic and empathetic Uh to what was happening. I've got another couple of examples for in-school ones. One amazing high school I worked into. I was introducing a boy with a severe visual impairment into that school. And the head said to me, that's fine. Pick one of these days at 12 o'clock. And I picked a day and I said, why? He said, whenever we've got a child that we want everybody to understand, he said, all the heads of department and class teacher will have the boys' timetable. They will be in room X at 12 o'clock. They'll bring their own sandwiches, lunch. You know, they bring their lunch. And you have got 20 minutes with them to run down the key features of what they need to be doing to support that child. They also get to meet you so that if they've got specific questions about science or English or maths, they can ask you afterwards. So every single child he admitted who had a a real significant issue, and when I turned up, I thought, well, this will be interesting, but at 12 o'clock, there they were, every head of department in the school, whether the boy was taking the subject or not, every head of department was there, and everyone who was on his current teaching timetable. And I had 20 minutes with them. So there's one. Another one I was going to say, which is kind of a nicer, slightly kind of 
another level is a school where they had a little research group and they would have a research paper on something to do with education. They put it out to people to read once a month. They came in early and had coffee and, I don't know, a bacon sandwich or something and discussed the research, discussed issues in education. And I liked I liked that one. And the third one I was going to mention, John, because I've got three, but I've got loads, but I'm going to do three, was, um, you know, you know how many times you're asked to go in and do CPD in a school and it is kind of a go in, twilight, tick, we've done SEND and out, you know. And so a model that I tried quite a few years ago and I'm still using a lot was a school that wanted to look at outdoor learning for their children with autism in their outdoor spaces. They had each classroom had like an outdoor space. And at the moment, they were using them just kind of as outdoor spaces. There wasn't much happening or much change. So what we did, the head and I, we devised a program whereby, step one, I did do an intro of uh, the kind of issues to consider when we're working on indoor-outdoor learning. Then we all went around the school and looked at each person's outdoor space and kind of threw out ideas. Each class team then formulated a little action plan, a little bit of action research, what they were going to do with their outdoor area. They did it for a month, recording it, bits of video, bits of photographs, working out their own parameters. Each project was different. And then when we came back in, we did a teach meet and each class presented to everybody else what had done well, what didn't work. And of course, then my job was to pull all that together into a kind of a systematic thing that the school could follow but it's about exciting people about learning you know and and getting them to see that everything you put in will be given back to you a hundredfold and it's much better if you do that just going back to sort of different types of learning so often you have someone who's standing at the front and telling you everything you need to know and you've all got to listen and that's not always the most engaging and you've both given examples where actually when you get people more involved and when you give them a voice and you give them that discussion, that's when the learning really takes off. And I think teachers, when they look at their class, goes, yeah, actually, when we do that discussion work, that's when all the ideas come out. Yeah. So same with teachers. It's the same with adults. Yeah. So giving those teachers voices rather than just having less staff meetings where they're just sitting there listening mm-hmm. to someone giving information getting them involved, getting them think about, and then getting them to feedback will always help them think about stuff in their own context. They can check their knowledge. They can support others. It's great. It's a really good way of learning. Mm-hmm. I know I'm preaching to those who already know all of this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but it's, it, it's, it's always worth stating the obvious. We forget the obvious. We do forget the obvious. So it's always worth stating that. On a personal level, I have a few friends who are as interested in education and in particular in inclusive education as I am. And inevitably, for example, this is how sad we are, on a night out, the talk will turn to education and it will turn to what we think or what's current or a problem we're having. And you can you can kind of be challenged by those people and you can again clarify your views or learn something new it's it's a process which can take place anywhere it doesn't have to take within the school day or on a, a twilight between you know four and four thirty. yeah mm-hmm. i mean the people who are listening to this podcast you might be <laughs> bless you if you are bless you all but you might be walking your dog you might be lying in bed just before you go to sleep very bad move you might be 
trying to avoid something that you don't want to do like I don't want to I'm recording this because I don't want to clean up upstairs I've started spring cleaning as most people have in the pandemic and I've got to that stage where you've emptied all the cupboards and now you've got to do something about it because it's you know so you might be gardening I mean the beauty of a podcast is you might be jogging god forbid but you might be jogging and the beauty of a podcast is it's anytime anywhere learning what suits you you might be in the bath I'm getting visual images now I'm going to stop <laughs> but picking up on that it's also about following the areas that you find interesting yes yes Yes, and, and you know, and, and understanding, appreciating what kind of tweaks your own interest. So, another source of CPD might be um, TED talks. Yes, and there's some amazing TED talks, and and it's the kind of thing you don't know why they're interesting. I remember watching one. Uh, there was a TED talk on how to tie shoelaces. Okay, now I don't necessarily know why that's interesting, but you know, as a teacher. Thinking about the process of learning, it was a good example of actually how you break something down that looks quite ordinary and every day and what you might do to rebuild it back up again. Yeah. So I wouldn't necessarily apply it. You know, I, I, I can't think I've taught anybody but my own kids to tie shoelaces, but I've taught a lot of other things. And actually, you could learn from that process, the most obscure of things you can learn you know, many other things from. So there's things like uh, like TED Talks which are a good source of just developing your own curiosity, your own learning. It's almost like the, the, the question, why do we feel lifelong learning is important? It's, it, it's impossible not to like continue learning through life. Yeah? And sometimes it's for those professional reasons, but quite a lot of the time it's simply because it's the nature of who we are. Yes. We just want to learn. I do think sometimes your passion, if you have a passion for something and you do it on your own, it can wilter out and die. But I think if you find other people with similar interests who or who will challenge you, who will go out and have that conversation, that will keep you fueled. Yes. Mm -hmm. If you feel sporty in your school, you will get on and you'll do this and you'll feel great. Yeah. If not, there's always someone else somewhere you can find to challenge you. Going to that teach me, it's like you said. Yeah. And you might get inspired. And that is important as well. So as well as getting that knowledge is surrounding yourself with other people who feel that way. Yeah, and it is very important because if you just keep it just to yourself, then you become a self-fulfilling prophecy that you're right. And there's no triangulation of thought. You just think, well, I did this and therefore it's right. And, and then it just you follow down that route of I am right. And that can be very dangerous because you might be wrong. And so it is important to have triangulation of thought via other people. Yeah. yeah. And, and also that that have you seen this factor earlier, Dale mentioned the real time uh, subtitling in PowerPoint. Now, I'm excited about that. I think that could be a real game changer. And I want to be broadcasting that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, And it's just, you know, a little thing like that, that just tweaks your interest yeah. again, yeah. and makes you think, got to go and tell people about Absolutely. that. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And if you're just starting, it's important to have some, if you like, I don't want to use the term official because they're not, but you need to go to reliable places for information if you're not sure. So when John and I were discussing this podcast, we were kind of putting yeah. together some of the kind of our top few, for example, the call centre in Scotland. I'll take that as an example. But we will put a few examples at the, we'll send them to you, Dale, so that, because yeah. we've got quite a few, but I'm, we might not be able to talk about them yeah. all. But I'm going to use Call Scotland as an example. Call Scotland, I'm convinced they have people who don't sleep there. 
because their resources are continually updated. They are the links very rarely don't work. They all work. I think they just work 24-7 in that place. And they provide a service which I've shared worldwide and everybody who's clicked on and then had a look at their resources we could take anything one of their app wheels for example which are so simple because when apps first came out people were just grabbing and and making these giant long lists of nonsense which went out of date as fast as they were written and none of them linked to any pedagogy whereas the call center put up app wheels which start from the child the needs of the child and the need is linked to apps that will. So it, it would take writing and it would take the different parts of writing and then the apps that link to that different bit of writing so that you can make a direct pedagogical link between a need a child has and an app. You're not just doing a random thing. Now, they were one of the first groups to do that, to my knowledge. And um they do update them. But those those little things, that sounds so simple, but it's so effective. So it's really important to go to people, you know, if you're unsure, make sure you get knowledge from people who are, you know, the experts, as it were, and who do it all day, every day. And call does technology and SEND all day, every day. Mm-hmm. Yep, they're good. The other ones, uh, Nason put out some good stuff. Yeah. It's not necessarily under the Nason brand anymore, but they did some really good training materials, not specifically around technology, but around complex needs, around PMLD and SLD, probably six, seven years ago now, perhaps that long. But they did that and they did communication needs as yeah. well, speech language communication needs. Both those two really excellent resources and you can still find them online. And the other one is London Green for Learning. London Green for Learning have got quite a good resource now, which some of it is behind the, well, the subscription. But a lot of it, like, for instance, their resource on supporting a bereaved child is, um, you know, free to view and just a really good resource, uh, you know, really straightforward, direct, connected to what teachers need, straightforward, practical. Yeah. So and again, you know, quality assured because it's them putting it out. But also the nice thing about people like London Grid for Learning is that you can contact them and say, we need a resource on. And if enough people are saying it, they will produce it. They have the ability to mm. put something together if it's a real need. So, so you've got kind of very informal things and then you've got some of the kind of more established routes. And then, of course, we have the very formal routes, such as the excellent courses promoted by the University of Birmingham. You know, they have probably the best course in the country, I would think, on visual impairment. They have a multi-sensory impairment course and, and so on. And um, other universities will will have courses as well. I'm not saying only them, but Birmingham is really quite well known for that. And and so you can go off and do more formal qualifications should you have the time, ability and financial support to be able to do so. I heard from one school, I was working with one school last week, they specialise in visual impairment and it's a condition of accepting a job there that within three years you will have done one of the Birmingham courses. They fund it. That's how important they feel it is. So if you haven't already got one of those courses, you have to pick one and pass it. And it's a condition of working at the school. So some schools, you know, really go for consistency of lifelong learning and provision. Yeah. Mm. And as um, you already mentioned, Carol, the TESSEN show in London is oh. a great place to go. This year it's been postponed till January. Yes. Yes, yep. it has. So just to make sure everyone's comfortable coming out again and the speakers can get there. Yeah. That's a great place. I don't know how many sessions there are. There's a lot of sessions, yeah. lots of experts. It's a great place to get CPD. It is my favourite 
show of the year. I have to be honest. Of all yeah. the shows, if yeah. if I if if they said you can only go to one, without a doubt, that's the one because a the speakers, b the teach meet, the exhibitors, everybody's appropriate. Wherever I go, it's people with a common purpose, and always I never come away without having learned new things. So it's brilliant. Yeah, it's brilliant. Yeah. And we have got the teach meet is going ahead. So the teach meet's confirmed as well. So, yeah. So make sure you come, folks, and come and say hello to me and John. We'll both be there. Yeah, we'll be there. Yep. Dale, you should come. I will do. We're at the show. I'm at the, we're at the show uh, promoting the Sendcast and the conference we run. So you'll also so, be at the teach meet yeah. then. So come and meet Dale as well. There you go, guys. <laughs> <laughs> but it is, it is again, the, so the uh, TS show is on a Friday and a Saturday. So if you haven't got yeah. that supportive school or you have got a supportive leaders, but money and everything else is against you, you can still get there on the Saturday uh, mm. and still access a range of content. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's, that's probably the biggest show I know of. That's my, and it is, it's also my favorite show. I think I've now been going for 16, 17 years. Mm -hmm. Haven't missed one. There are some autism shows, which are yep. good, which are oh, yes. split between mm -hmm. parents and schools. Mm -hmm. And also TES, SEN show, they've now got one in the, in the north. Yes. So they have one in Manchester they run every year. Yeah. yeah. Last year, I have to say, Bet, um, after yeah. proving, let's say, problematic for a few years, last year, Bet really tried to up their level of inclusive offerings it's a huge show so it's like trying to move a tanker compared to turning a speedboat so if you're in a speedboat you want to make a change in direction you just turn the wheel and you're off in your tanker you've got to kind of reset the course and it moves bit by bit but i think they made a real effort last year to have more inclusive speakers, to have, you know, more content so that if you went that it's not perfect, it wasn't right 100%, but by crikey, it's moving in the right direction. I think one thing to say about the bet show is if you are looking at going and you're thinking great content, do have a look at the exhibitor list to see yes. who's there at the end. Because that's one thing they used to have a special needs village. Yes. And Houston provided the information point and that I believe last it wasn't there for the last few years. It's completely That's right. gone. That's right. A lot of the exhibitors have stopped going because unless you have a giant stand and have lots of money, you're going to be nowhere near the middle, which means you're out on the edge. And as it's getting even bigger this year coming, it's not quite so I think content wise it's getting better. But I think if you're going to talk to exhibitors, if you've got someone here you want to talk to please check if they're there because we yeah we stopped going uh in 2019 was our last year and we have no plans to go back no. i think the islington shows the one yeah it's like a one-stop shop for everything isn't it you know the that yeah. is our focus yeah. that's what we're all there for bet is a slightly different deal yeah the one thing about bet is they do have the bet futures area which is almost pop-up there's small stands and people who have got a bright idea come along to show people that bright idea and you do get a few little gems there and you do few, see a few things that, that that later on come through yeah but you've got to be interested in this field really technology and special needs to to want to spend your time fishing around the bet futures yeah but it's good it's good mm -hmm. yeah so um obviously uh, other ways of getting cpd is once you know someone's recommending a speaker so someone's recommending carol or john generally you can see where else they speak as a good way of qualifying if that's worth going to would that be good advice mm -hmm. yeah 
maybe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe. The thing is, different. There are some speakers who only speak on one subject, and there are some speakers that are more generalist and happy to speak on quite a few subjects. There are some speakers who you will take to and you will be engaged by, and there'll be some that you find that you don't connect with. I mean, it's the nature of human beings, isn't it? You tend to build up followers when you're working and people who kind of come back year after year if they know you're going to be at a particular show. But then it's it's lovely to meet all new people as well and, and particularly new people. in the, I love meeting new people to the profession because when we're tired as teachers and things, we tend to kind of put our profession down only because we're tired, may I say, I do think when our back's to the wall, we, we stick up for ourselves. But I think it's really important to not do that to new people to the profession and just say, look, this is you've made a fabulous choice. And yes, we can help you with this child in your class. And yes, there's a way forward. And, and so I, I do think people who espouse positivity, I watched Michael Rosen at this year's bet. And I've heard Michael Rosen speak many times, and obviously he's a very magnetic speaker anyway because he's a performer, isn't he? But you just sit there and think, yes, you can connect with kids, and this is a different way of connecting with them. And and I can do. You got the feel. You came away thinking, I could do that. Maybe not in a Michael Rosen way, but I can have a go at that. So I think finding speakers that you enjoy is really important. Yeah. Yeah. And, I, and you know, speakers who are talking about, for me, creative practice. So by that, I mean, I do enjoy listening to teachers talk about their practice. But if it is, say, senior managers talking about the way that they've restructured the school and the systems they put in, I find that less engaging than a teacher talking about the thing they did in the classroom that switched on a child or a group of children and and it's then that gives you the idea that you take away and you think I could do that but I would need to do it differently it's one of one of the things that the, the kind of job that Karen and I do where you spend time in other people's classrooms which is an absolute privilege and then you go and you talk about talk to other groups and it's rather like being a honeybee in the sense that you cross-fertilise, you cross-pollinate, you see something that somebody is doing that really excites you and you go and talk about it to other people and they also get excited and they develop it further. Yeah, that's the kind of thing that I like to, to find. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So um, we've talked about though all the learning where you're obviously you've got, an, you've got a need or you've got a desire, you've got that spark in you where you want to go find out. What happens when you literally... September, new child in the school, straight with you, and you've got to do a lot of learning. What What is it you can do in that situation? Where do you go? If it's that kind of emergency. Now, here's the interesting thing. One should say, look at the paperwork first, but the paperwork doesn't often follow the child. You can get the paperwork up to a year after the child's entered your school. I mean, it's crackers. If there is any information from the Senko, then that's your starting point, isn't it? Second thing is a huge one are the parents. Oh, my goodness. The parents know that child better than anyone else, any book, any theory. So if I if I've got a complex child, my first thing has always been meet the parents. They can come into school or I've met people in coffee shops. I've bought them McDonald's. We've had lunch. I've been to their house, whatever they prefer. But you will get valuable information on how that child operates, how they learn, because parents know how their children learn based on what they're doing at home. So parents would be second. Third, now we have the beauty of things like Twitter. 
And if I put out a request on Twitter saying, let's say it's a syndrome that I've not met before, there's some very, very rare syndromes that you might meet not at all in your career, or you might meet once, maybe twice. And there was a child with a particular syndrome I got in my class a wee few years ago. And I put out on Twitter, I'm getting a child with such and such syndrome. Has anybody taught a child with this syndrome before? Now, I'm not doing the thing that if, you, if you've got one child with this syndrome, everybody's the same. I just wanted a starting point. I just wanted to understand what someone else had gone through. And do you know what? Within 20 minutes, I had answers from New Zealand. Uh, I had an answer from China. I had answers, several answers from America of people saying, right, I had a child. This is what we found. This is, and from those, I think I had about seven answers. Uh, it was quite a rare syndrome. But from those seven, I was able to glean a few starting points. So there, there's emergency help out there on the on the web. You can kind of get help. Now, notice I haven't said Google the condition and get the information about the condition. What I've done is go to other practitioners who've worked with children who've got that condition. Which 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 doesn't mean don't Google that. Condition. No, no, no. Uh, no. You know, Wikipedia. There was I can't. Unfortunately, I can't rem- remember. It was so. It is so rare that I came across recently. And Wikipedia uh, was a big help. To me. It wasn't specific enough about the child, but it gave me an understanding of just what was happening here as a, a starting point. But absolutely, I mean, I, I I do think much as we denigrate paperwork a lot of the time in assessments, paperwork's important. Quite right, parents, anybody that's previously worked with them, and and actually. I also think there's something about your own response as a professional. Yes. You know, there's something about observing a child and thinking, ah, I understand. Mm -hmm. Without necessarily formalising it, you just feel a connection or feel a germ of something. And there's something about that as well. I, I do think as a professional, you may want to trust your professional instincts. Yeah. And 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 also if the child's old enough and has been taught in my view correctly. They will be able to self-advocate. You know, if if, yeah. if if I meet somebody at 14, I would, well, actually younger than that, but I would expect a child, yeah, from about seven or eight to be able to very clearly self-advocate at least the basics, getting more complex. And, and so starting with the child and saying, what can I do to help you to learn? What do you need to make yeah. learning better for you? Very simple, open questions, not, oh, I see you can't read. What do you, you know, just what can yeah. I do to make yeah. it easier for you to learn in my class? And things like that are, you know, simple and they work. Yeah. Just to go back on that Googling, sometimes you might in the past have Googled something for a syndrome and got a load of really rubbish information. One yeah. of the things Google did, I think it was last year, might have been the year before, did something on their search engine called the Medic Update. What's Which that? You probably have no, I haven't heard. Tell me. So what they did is basically anyone could put anything out on on a website, publish it, and it might end up in Google and get to the top of uh, the search engines. So what they did is they try and triangulate who wrote this article. Mm-hmm. Dale Pickles is Dale Pickles on LinkedIn. Is he? And it looks look for my qualifications to write that article. Yeah. So. When you're seeing a something is called a medic, the idea is it's put in a medical device written by a doctor above someone's home remedy. Ah, right. Okay. But that was the aim of it. But basically what it meant was all, all advice on the internet was kind of, who says this? How credible is this? And there was an update Google did in the last sort of 18 months, which they basically hopefully has improved 
the Google responses and some websites just dropped off. They've completely disappeared because they're saying stuff with actually not saying who wrote it or any advice around it. Other, other ones where actually credible people have shot up. So that's one thing around Google, just to mention, pretty quite odd and random. But it's if you've noticed that certain websites have disappeared and others have become more prominent, that was the reason that actually they're trying to make the responses you get from Google better. Right. Okay. That's good. It's good. Yes, that is good. Um, my other thing is just talking about parents is you may have that chat with parents. They may tell you all about their child and they come into your class and you don't see any of that. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Doesn't mean the parent's wrong. No. At that moment, you go back and go, I've not seen that. What I've seen is this. And the parent will go, ah, that's because. Yeah. Doesn't mean the parent's wrong. The parent yeah. knows them so much better than you. Always. It might be them. There'll be very various reasons why that could be happening. Yeah. So don't think yeah. the parent's wrong. Go back to parents and say, look, this is what I've seen. Yeah. Yeah. How does that work? And yeah. they'll explain. The other beautiful thing about children, and it can be very frustrating, is that they're different in different places and environments. Um, yes. So one of one of the classes I worked in, we had a the little staff room office space and we put a two way mirror in there because, for example, we had children who would feed themselves in school but would not feed themselves at home because at home they love to be sitting on mum's knee and having that cuddle and that close communication time. But when you would say to mum, well, she can feed herself. The same thing, you know, mum's instant thing is, well, you know, I trust you, Carol. I'm, I'm sure she can, but I don't believe it. We've never. So we'd sneak them into the room so they could see it. So they could absolutely see it. And then they could make their own choice about whether they were going to push for that at home or they just love the cuddling feeding time. You know, it's it's a, a parent's choice. So yeah. children can be different in different situations. But no, I I have never disbelieved a parent, and if it if I see something different, I quality assure it, as it were, back to the parent straight away. And you have to do that in a very non-threatening way. It's you have to make sure you're not saying, "I don't believe you." You have to be saying, "Do you know what? It's really strange because he's doing this, and here's a bit of video of what he's doing. Can you tell me what he's doing?" And they will. They absolutely will. They'll help you. Yeah, they'll know why he's doing that or she's doing that. They'll look at it and go, okay, that's because of this. Yeah. Actually, if you do this, he'll let, he, they'll then change yeah. in response. Yeah. yeah. I mean, lots of lots of schools have got parent partnership policies. And it's almost like once it's written on paper, that's it done. And, and yet, when you ask about the kind of simple practicalities of engaging with the parent, because the more complex the child, the more you need that person to help you or people. It's interesting in this current coronavirus crisis. There's a sort. Well, there's almost well, two things are happening. One is that there's probably more contact between teachers and parents yeah. because of things like sending work home or phoning up and checking. And the other one is that parents perhaps shifting their own roles so they're doing a lot of the education at home, and the parents then having uh, asking the teachers, "How do I do this? What do I do?" How do I support my child in this way? Uh -huh. Yeah, and one can only hope that that shift in the dialogue is actually enriching it and improving it, uh, and helping you know teachers and parents to understand better their roles in in working with the child. It's also interesting. My uh, daughter's in year six, and the, the difference in the behaviour at different times of the day. So when you see things happy, when you're trying to get her to do that work. Yeah. It's a very different child. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah. because home is not work. Home is not school. I mean, this is the thing. We've asked these parents to take on a hell of a job because uh, imagine someone with autism. 
things happen in a particular place. The kind of person, the kind of autistic person that says, when I go here, when I go to the dentist, I have to let him look at my teeth. When I go to the swimming pool, I swim. When I go to school, I learn. When I go home, I watch TV, I play football, I run around, I bounce on my trampoline. I don't sit and do work because that's not what happens at home. And I think... (laughs) I think it's been pretty tricky, actually, for a lot of people. And I do value the schools that have just said to their parents, do what you can, but don't spoil your family life by making it a battle. Please don't make it a battle. Yeah. Yeah. It's a different type of learning. Yeah. Yeah. It's experiences and it's not having that challenge. It's not having the battle. It's okay. We're not not going to sit here and do this. We're not going to do that. Okay. But what can we do? Let's do some uh, baking. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Let's, yeah. let's let's plant uh, plants in the garden. Let's yeah. watch some tomatoes grow over the next couple of weeks. So let's. Yeah. There's lots of different things you can do that you don't actually have time for in the classroom. Yeah. You don't have the yep. opportunity for. So you can, there's lots of other stuff you can do oh, at home. Yeah. Talking of uh, COVID nineteen, how has that changed CPD for inclusion? How's that going to change? Do you think people will start? Using online learning more? Yes, absolutely. There's been a, a, a huge. Yeah. There's there are so many offers at the moment of webinars, of Zoom meetings, of co- online conference. There's so many. So the first couple of weeks there were a few, and I was able to do them all. I can't keep up now. I I, I just wouldn't go to sleep if I was trying to take part in everything that's on offer at the moment. I just couldn't do it, and. The majority of what I've dipped into has been very good quality stuff. There have been some which hasn't been, but, you know, that's fair enough. There are some amazing opportunities to to learn and to hear from educators that maybe I couldn't hear from in other ways. So I I think it has hopefully made a big push start to those people who felt they didn't have time in their busy working life to do any learning about their craft and maybe it's given them that enthusiasm back yeah and, and i quite agree i mean we started this discussion thinking about time and space and you know how do you fit how do you get it in and to a degree i know there's many people who are very busy but there's also there is a bit of space here to do some cpd you know the, the job has changed significantly and it's not just teachers it's also remember teaching assistants so that, you know, other people involved in the educating your kids who have got the time and the space to do a bit more cpd to do a bit of thinking around the subject of teaching and learning and children's learning needs every crisis brings opportunities and i think one of the opportunities is a little bit of headspace a little time for thinking and reflection and a little time for yourself to do some learning one thing i'd just like to say out to anyone who does do webinars anyone who's thinking about doing webinars please do one thing for me record it <laughs> then put it somewhere so people can access since 2018 we've we've recorded every webinar we've ever done at b squared and they're all available on our website and so many of them we refer back to because I keep getting asked the same question. I can literally say, oh, we did a webinar on that. Go watch it there in your time when it suits you. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes when you see a webinar at 2 p.m. on a Thursday, you're like, well, that's clashing. And sometimes mm-hmm. it's just a, you watch it or you miss it. It's gone. Yeah. That's not great. And it doesn't hit, take much to hit record, stick it up on YouTube. Yeah, yeah. The one thing yeah. I wish school, so I'm, I'm doing a webinar tomorrow in the evening. And that will be going up. That will be available on YouTube, on our website within a day. So if you can't make it when I'm delivering my content, you're not missing out. Mm-hmm. 
that's when people can because if if you're a teacher who is somehow having to balance teaching uh, or the sort of distance learning and balancing that looking after your own children trying to educate them and do all the phone calls and do all that other stuff you're doing you're not really going to have much time during the day to access these webinars you might be sitting down in the evening and watching them yeah yeah Yeah. we are now providing something that i i've banged on about for years anytime anywhere learning potentially for the kids too you know yes yes schools are pumping out content it doesn't mean that the kids are sitting there from nine till three thirty and and you know dealing with it yeah I mean, I first started thinking about it many, many years ago where I had a boy entered my class who'd had uh, been knocked off his bike and suffered severe brain trauma. He'd been in a mainstream secondary school and then the next minute he was in a coma and he was in a coma for three months to try and protect his brain. And then when they brought him out, they thought he was um, he was severely damaged, certainly physically, and they couldn't find a communication pathway or anything and he ended up in my class and we worked very very hard with him but he the nature of brain trauma is often that they have weird sleep patterns and his mum would suddenly say to me well he was really awake at two o'clock in the morning when he's busy snoring in your classroom at three o'clock in the afternoon you know I had to make things that he could listen to simple audio recordings that she could put and make available for him at three o'clock in the morning. Because if that's the time when he's learning, then that's the time we have to provide the education. Now, I'm not, you know, a zealot enough to get up at three o'clock and go around to his house and teach him, but I am prepared to provide stuff. And you're right, if we have this bank of stuff, the teacher on maternity leave who's pacing up and down at two o'clock in the morning with a crying baby could put a podcast on so they don't have to listen. (laughs) <laughs> i would have done it i tell you yeah but it might be a podcast about how do you stop babies crying fine i don't mind but it's about having those choices isn't it it's about learning yeah. you know we're very naive if we say learning happens only within a school classroom from nine o'clock in the morning till three o'clock three thirty in the afternoon that's a, a reductionist view it's crazy crazy yep yep but i think i think if you can record Pod, the webinars if you can make content available it means anyone can access it whenever yeah so with yeah. with the virtual send conference carol uh, alan did, you did a session for us ages ago you can still buy that and watch that today and when a new member of staff arrives later this year they can watch it mm-hmm. so that's the beauty of it is having that content once you've bought into it that's yours forever mm-hmm. so a lot of the training around autism, around uh, AAC, around selective mutism, that's not going to change here or near. That's going to be there forever. Yeah, yeah. So if you buy that now and you've still got that in three, four years' time, yeah. teachers right at your school then can still access yeah. and watch that training when it suits them rather than having to get someone in and pay someone to come in every time someone needs training. It makes much more sense. Yeah, I do think B squared. Well, it's one of the reasons why I'm sitting here this afternoon. I do think that your offering is developing and gathering pace, and it's got it's got quality things to offer to people, which is is, and they can listen to it or watch it whenever they want. Yeah, we just saw how conferences went. We saw attending conferences, what people were doing, what they enjoyed, what they didn't enjoy, and just and what their frustrations were, and just tried to peel it back. Get rid of those frustrations, get rid of the travel, the traffic, time at school, the costs, all this sort of thing. What is it? You want CPD, you want information. You're not actually always that fussed about networking because often you just sit with someone you know and have a chat and catch up. Actually, you want the content, you want the knowledge. You're also watching people when there's two sessions, 
two sessions you've come for are on the exact same time. Oh yeah, that is a that's a nightmare. Oh, that is a nightmare. Mm. Yeah, getting rid of all of that to actually they're all on whenever you want. It just makes much more sense. Let's use technology to its fullest and make it fully accessible. And there are quite a few schools now who are using those videos as whole school training. Right. And so the head teacher or the senior leader may have watched it and they know actually, right, I've prepared an activity. So they watch half the video, pause it and go, right, let's think about in the context of our school. How could we do that? Do a whole activity and then finish off the Uh video. So it's about, there's lots of ways we can use this content. Um, Good. And it's just thinking about things. So if we can get Joe Wicks. Yes. He taught all the kids PE for all of us. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not saying we can do English and maths and all that sort of stuff in that way. Not a chance. But actually, there, there is something you can take from that. But we should be able to maybe reduce some of that workload and do things simpler. And if we can reduce some of that workload, we can then have more time to support those who need it. Yes. So that's the big thing is, is not reducing teachers or anything like that. It's going, let's get rid of the really easy stuff. Obviously not really easy, but let's give us that. And actually then give us more time to support pupils who need that mm. support. I think it's a huge shame if the trauma that we've all been through on this COVID-19 thing. No, it's not a top Trump's thing. Somebody's had more trauma than another person. Everybody has their own journey through it. But there's, in my lifetime, I've not known anything that's affected the whole nation and indeed the whole world in such a dramatic way. And what a wasted opportunity if we don't take what we've learned about technology and education during this period and apply it. If we go back to same old, same old, which wasn't working for loads of the students that we care about, if we don't apply some of the things we've learned, we are hearing from kids who are so much happier learning at home than they ever are at school. You know, surely there are ways forward for us to to use this knowledge and provide more options and more flexibility in the educational offering. It would be a, a crying shame if we don't use it. Well, it's likewise. I, I hope what we're also reassessing what is important in education. You know, I've been doing some work around kids going back into school, and the priority is not going to be uh, literacy and numeracy. Yeah. It's going to be emotional support and and feeling safe and and comfortable in that environment. And it'd be much more a focus on pupils' well being and pupils' readiness to learn. Uh, and also, you know, connecting with pupils' own interests and more pupil-led learning and so on. Yeah. And so it, it, there may be the kinds of shifts we need to make bigger shifts. You know, I, I mean, I, I think I started by say, talking about the bottom line in schools and the, you know, the, the school accounting balance sheet and the, you know, the Progress 8 and the EBAC and so on. Yeah. Well, I hope that those are no longer the priority in schools, but that we, we can take a much more pupil-focused approach to learning and thinking about the, literally the pupil and their well-being and uh, a whole pupil approach to learning. And perhaps we can begin to move away from that accounting bottom line for schools and begin to readdress just what is education about. And in doing that, I think we, we're going to have to accommodate or we will be a bit, sorry better placed to accommodate other shifts that are happening in education at the moment. Completely agree. I think it's when you sort of, Various things on social media. Who are the key workers? It doesn't seem to be the bankers. Yeah. All that. You see those things, but it's true. So what are the key skills? Yeah. Is it Mr. Yeah. Goes Latin? Is it uh, yeah. various other things they've said? Or is it actually, so my daughter is back in school now. 
she needed to be back at school. We needed a social site. And, they, and when you heard, what did you do at school today? And they said, oh, the teacher read a book to me. And I'm like, great, because you've not actually listened to anyone teaching you anything or have ever had to listen since March. Mm. You never had to sit there and listen because your work is on a screen. Yeah. So yeah. she's had to listen. And then what happened? Well, when we discussed, we had a big discussion. Well, how long is that for? End up for being an hour and a half. And the kids are just talking. They're socializing. Wow. They're learning to talk. They haven't talked to other children, anything like that. And they're just enjoying being together. Yeah. 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 And I love that. Yeah. I'm loving that's what she's doing. I'm glad she's not sitting there doing English and maths. Yeah. They're, they're listening to year six. They're listening to Swallows and Amazons and they're doing books off that. They're doing work off that and they're discussing it. And there's lots of discussion. And it's the creative side. It's thinking geography. It's pack, it's lists of what you take and silly things and singing a song. It's just lots of but it's also finding out the teachers finding out what is it they're interested in. And the children leading that educational journey. It's brilliant. Uh-huh. Mm. Uh-huh. Don't care about sats. I don't think any parent really cares about sats. I wish, I wish the government sit there and go okay this is mucked up league tables for a while and next year we can't really rely on this because they're not really prepared how about we put them hmm. away i think estate agents care about sats yes <laughs> yes you're right john yeah yeah <laughs> and the sunday newspapers once a year yeah yeah yeah, yeah true yeah so they can have yeah. their fold-out edition yes but I, I think I, I'm hoping that this year's league tables can't really use them. Next year's shouldn't really use them. Let's yeah. put them somewhere else. Let's, get Let's forget about them. That would yeah. be lovely. Yeah. Sadly, I doubt it will happen. Sadly, I doubt the government will listen a lot. I think you're right, Dale. Mm. I have my, my pie in the sky dreaming. Okay. And then come back to reality of the people in charge. And then realizing mm. it probably won't happen. And uh, we will probably go back to exactly where we were before because that's who, that's what the leaders, that's what those people they're used to and they're comfortable with until they work out a way, doing it a new way, still holding people to account. Once they've worked out the accounting part, they'll let us change. Yeah. Yeah. I have this notion that we value what we measure rather than measure what we value. So because we can measure five a to c's or progress a to whatever that's the metric that we that's valuable to us whereas we don't look at say happiness yeah happiness well-being creativity very difficult to grade a, a child's creativity yeah but but those are the things that actually we want, want to develop in children curiosity you know those are the things we want to develop uh, and yet because we don't have metrics for them they're not the things that we're able to use in that accounting framework that uh, is is you know so important it seems apparently for education yeah one other thing in the webinar i'm delivering tomorrow night which will be available for this podcast so it's on a removal of p levels two years on what has changed that's the idea yeah. and one of the things in all the schools i've worked with and talked to and watched is i think over the last two years one thing we the schools are changing is from that local authority Ofsted approach to data to more child-centered data yeah i think offset yeah. inspection framework is is sort of saying okay what does your data tell you we're not telling you what data we want we want to know what data tells you so it's kind of is giving schools more freedom into going okay what is it we want to do what data do we want to collect what makes it what's important for us the problem is the downside is you've still got the league tables but we are i think moving 
less from all about graphs to maybe opinions or how people feel, having mm-hmm. that as acceptable data. So that's one thing I, I do see over the last few years is moving from this is the data we have to produce to this is the data that we're realizing we need. This helps us understand our pupils better and support them better. So that's one thing I'm, I'm noticing change. But until the accountability and the leak tables, until that goes, we'll never be free of them. We'll never. That will be the ultimate pressure that schools focus on. Yeah, completely. Yeah, sorry to uh, come to, kind of come towards the end, wrapping up on a uh, doom and gloom. We ha- we haven't learnt. We're still going to measure things. Was it we we're going to keep doing the same thing and expect different outcomes? Yeah, Einstein. Yeah, yeah, but but on a on a positive note, the children are the same. The profession of education is the same, and they have always wanted to do well. We have more opportunities in terms of technology to support our students who require additional access. We have more routes for CPD and to find out information should we need it. And we've had a kind of sea change of opportunity due to being technically locked in. So it can be positive. It really can be positive. But we have to make sure that that's our mind shift. We have to be can do rather than identifying the things that might stop us. So, you know, you can rank me in any rank order you want. I'll still be me and I'm still going to do the job I do, whether you put me at the top or the bottom. I don't care. I think that that does take a lot of confidence. But I think I suppose all that autonomy governments have given schools mm-hmm. is it's now time to use that. Yes. It's really time as governors, as school leaders, SENCOs, everyone, teachers and teaching assistants, everyone to say, go, we want to change and we are going to change and go for it. Yes. Yeah. Not, yeah. not wait for the local authority to change and not wait for the government to change. Go do it yourselves. Do what's right for the, for, at the level you are. If you're a TA, and your child needs something, stick up for them and help them get it. If you're a teacher and you, a child or your class or a group in your class needs something, stick up for them again. If you're a departmental lead and you need something, if you're a key stage lead and they need something, if you're middle management, senior management, it doesn't matter where you are. Collectively, as a school, you know, if something's the right thing to do, then push to do it. Just push to do it. Yeah, I think you're one of the things we have boundaries in education. We have we have the boundaries of the the physical walls of the classroom, and we have the boundaries of nine o'clock till three thirty, and we we have you know the the thirty nine weeks of a year, and all of that, and all of that has been disrupted. All of that has been broken down, and, and we we do have an opportunity that that would be very difficult to come by through any other reason except this kind of crisis. So let us try and take that opportunity. Let us try, and when we we begin to restructure, that we don't necessarily put it back in place exactly the same boundaries that are, um, are currently holding us in. Yeah, yeah. Let's let's, let's expand a little. Perhaps schools should be doing. You no, know, and a child leaves a school, you'd like an exit survey wouldn't we fabulous the schools aren't good at uh following up their leavers you know in long term they don't necessarily know unless the kids become famous that uh, you know 10 years time who is the the writer the mother the quantities of air the teacher you know the footballer well footballer they probably know about <laughs> musician they probably know about <laughs> yeah but you know who's managing the local sainsbury's you know that kind of thing 
they don't follow up. They could they could do a COVID nineteen exit. So okay, so in September yeah. October you're back in school. What did you like? What yeah. did you like? Yeah, yeah, couldn't they? And, and that's good. That is good. If you then act on the information you get, I get a bit peed off when people ask students or staff or any of us parents our views on something and nothing changes. So if, yes, yeah. do it, but only do it if you're going to listen. Yeah. One of my kids was on the school council, secondary school council. And the one thing they weren't allowed to talk about was toilets. And yet the one thing that every member of the school population was concerned about was toilets. Yeah. yeah. yeah? They just couldn't do the one thing that everybody wanted them to do. Yeah, quite. I've enjoyed watching you two giggle away this <laughs> afternoon. That's been grand. Mm. I've had a lovely time. I've had a lovely time with you. Oh, every, every podcast, I always learn. I always learn because I've got my bubble of knowledge, my bubble of experience, and I always learn from. And sometimes bubbles touch, but I always I, doing these podcasts is my bubble is just growing infinitely. I'm learning so much. I'm hearing so, and it's just great hearing the little stories, hearing the advice. And as you said, Carol, I think is you meet people, and often people get this passion within SEN because they've got uh, a family link so some of their child or link and then they're going for it and it's always great to hear that passion come out and it is the passion of everyone i've had on the podcast has been phenomenal and sometimes i'm laughing with you sometimes i'm always laughing with you but sometimes it's in a supportive way and it's another time it's that face palm one. <laughs> like surely <laughs> someone didn't do that <laughs> oh yes um, oh it's, it's shocking um but as you said, generally, nearly every person I speak to and meet is in this for the right reason. They're in this yeah. to make a difference, yeah. to make change. Yeah. And it is, it's one of those things where people now need to sit there and go, okay, so really what has worked? And stop using that phrase, it's the way we've always done it. Yeah, yeah. Because we've just mm. had a good few months of, <laughs> you can't do it how you've always done it. You've, yeah. had to make, yeah. you've had to make the best of what you've got. And actually, you probably may have found something good in there. Yes. You may have found a new way of connecting. Yeah. You may have found parents more on board, more engaging than they've yep. been because they've had to. So don't let that drop. Don't go back to one newsletter a term. If you've had this engagement with parents, keep it going. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Find out the positives from this experience. Focus on them. Keep them going. And then hopefully you can work out how to how to shape the children's future yeah for positive yeah. things together collectively yes so we're coming towards the end of uh the podcast so before i wrap up anything else you want to add i always give this opportunity trying to pull it together into one thing is be personally accountable for your own learning and for what you deliver and what you how you work with your students, their families, your colleagues, be personally accountable. Don't wait for someone else to say, do this or try this. You know, take a bit of self-empowerment and find what works for you. Find what tweaks your interest and, and follow it. Follow it. There are no rules now because you can get everything online. You can get everything there. Follow it and make yourself a better practitioner. And I think of what I'd add to that, I completely agree with that. But also that education is a collective endeavour. Yes that it's not just you and that child or these children. There's always other people involved and make sure you involve those other people. Yeah. Yeah. And learn, and learn from them too. Absolutely yeah. learn from them too. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. 
So thank you for coming on the show today. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, absolutely enjoyed that. Thank you. Uh, we'll put in yeah. links. Are we getting, uh, as Carol said, I'll be sending you some links on uh, good sources of CPD. So yeah. we'll put those in the show notes and you'll be able to find the show notes on our website, www.thesendcast.com. A uh, big thank you for listening to the show. As usual, if you haven't subscribed already, go to our website and you can subscribe on all the usual podcasting platforms. And you can also sign up to our newsletter and we'll email you every week when we have a new episode out, which is generally around lunchtime on Thursday. You can also find us on all the social media channels on Twitter at The Sendcast, on Facebook, The Sendcast, on Instagram, The Sendcast, and on LinkedIn, just search for The Sendcast. And if you want to get in touch with me, uh, let us know your thoughts, suggest topics, anything else, please send an email to hello at thesendcast.com. And if you enjoyed this episode of The Sendcast, uh, we've mentioned it in this podcast, is look into the virtual send conference. As I've said already, is we've looked at all the stuff that's gone on with conferences, looked at a better way of doing them. Lorraine Peterson will probably say it's a 21st solution to a 21st century problem, getting CPD out to those who need it as cheaply and as affordably and in a way they can access that suits them. So we run the conference twice a year, March, November. Each conference has 12 highly valuable sessions. We started running these in March 2019. So there's already three conferences up there you can access at any time. You can buy tickets for future events or past events. Video is always available. And the cost for each conference is £60. And this is for the entire school. So over the Senko, the leaders, teachers, and the teaching assistants. And as a listener to the Sendcast, we're offering a 10% discount just by using the code Sendcast10. We've also recently launched Parent Talks, which aimed at parents to help them improve their knowledge around SCNTs, SCNDs when they know when they're going into EHCP review or EHCP, they know what's coming, they've got some knowledge, they know what sort of things they can get. It's just designed to help parents. But as schools, we'll also find that also beneficial because they're finding out what information their parents are being told. So tickets to parent talks are only £10 each, just like the other conference. You can watch it whenever you want and as much as you want. And you can find out more about the parent talks or the virtual send conference by going to www.virtualsendconference.com. So thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of The Sendcast. It's goodbye from me. Uh, goodbye from me. And goodbye from Carol. Bye. 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 Bye.